Hey, I'm Stephen Povetter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10:15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Good morning. You guys doing okay? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. It's been a good week for us as school started back. Um, I have really appreciated, and I'll, I'll, I know that in our class this morning, the 40s class that Chad uh, teaches, uh, we were really, I mean, we only spent a few minutes in Acts chapter 5, <laughs> but uh, the, our time in the Word together is so valuable, and I appreciate it so much what it means to be a part of a community that is that knows part of our work of following Jesus together is to allow ourselves to have space where we're listening to the Word of God together. I think that's an important part of who we are, and it's an important part of the space that God uses to transform us and to shape us. We're in Acts chapter 5. We're going to be in the second part of that today. The first part in class was mostly the Ananias and Sapphira story. And we're going to be working on a little bit of what happens after that. Sometimes when we come into the Word, we're looking at kind of the overall effect of a story. We're kind of playing with the whole. We're looking at the, the big forest. Sometimes, though, it's helpful for me to stop and to really look at a tree, right? Sometimes you can miss the whole forest by just looking at a tree, but sometimes you can miss the wonder of one specific sentence because you're kind of plowing over too much of the text at once. In this week's sermon space, I want to invite you to just look at one little verse. In fact, just a couple of words in that verse. Um, but before we get there, I want us to have a little bit of context in what's happening in this story. Because I really think that once we have the context, once we understand what's happening, this little phrase, I, I hope it'll haunt you like it's haunted me this week. It's been one of those things that I have just gnawed on and chewed on and just puzzled over all week. Um, and I kept going back to this, read the whole story, and I kept getting just stuck on this one little phrase. And I want you to have that gift too. <laughs> I want you to get stuck with me on this one little thing. And what I hope is that when we leave today, you'll just start chewing on it. Okay? So this is one of those sermons that I hope takes all week to really get through. Not literally, we're still going to get done in a little bit, okay? But I hope it'll be just starting the process of allowing the Word to kind of haunt you over the course of this week, okay? After the story of Ananias and Sapphira, there is a very reasonable reaction. These two people have dropped dead in the church. And so both within the church and outside the church, there is some element of fear, whatever that means. Whether that means uh, people are awestruck by it, what, whatever, whatever kind of fear, I think some of it is just, hey, that's scary. 
um, let's think about that, right? Let's we we're, we're going to pay attention to what's what's happening, and I really think that's the element of the fear that's the most important for this story, is that everybody becomes laser focused and attentive to what God might be doing. The text goes on from there to talk about kind of the aftermath of that story, and it says it in a couple of different ways. Read with me in Acts chapter 5, verse 12 and following. Many signs and wonders were done among the people through the apostles, and they were all together. Uh, they were all together in Solomon's portico. I'm sorry, I should have called chat, uh, verse 11 at the beginning of that. It's kind of important. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things. All right, that's the that's the last verse of that Ananias and Sapphira story. And then it goes on to say, in the wake of that fear, all these signs and wonders were being done, and they were together in this part of the temple. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Okay? Not everybody is sure they want to sign up for people drop dead church. Okay? But they're thinking, hey, there's something significant going on there. I think these are both fair reactions. And then it goes on to say in verse 14, and yet more than ever, believers were being added to the Lord. So you notice the tension that's happening here, right? People aren't wanting to just trivially, trivially show up, okay? They're not just signing on because, hey, Jesus people sounds fun. Let's get on board. They're actually very seriously counting what would it mean to join in a community where there are life and death issues at stake, and yet it seems like God is mysteriously at work in this. And they're hesitant, and yet they come. Somehow more and more people are being brought into the life of Jesus. And it says, uh, you know, in verse 15, it goes on, so that they even uh, carried out the sick into the streets. And they laid them on cots and mats in order that Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he came by. Now, this continues the agency questions that we were asking in class earlier today, right? What does that even mean? People are just putting their people out on the street, hoping that Peter will just walk by and his shadow will heal them. Um, now, for what it's worth, it doesn't actually say that his shadow is healing them necessarily, but they're just hoping that that might happen. A great number of people would also gather from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all cured. People are coming to Jerusalem. They're coming to the temple. They're coming to gather with this new community of God's people. And there are signs and wonders and there are things happening and there's healing and there's people being released from these spiritual powers. In verse 17, 
strikes me as such a strange turn in the midst of all that. It says, then the high priest took action. He and all who are with him, that is the sect of the Pharisees, being filled. Hold on. It seems to me that there are lots of words that could then follow that. Right? If you think of this sentence as a beautiful jelly donut, there are lots of things that could be inside that rascal. You have trust that they're going to be delicious. I know many of you are thinking about donuts. I'm with you, youth group. All right. Okay. Church, Sunday morning. What else are you thinking about, right? Yeah, okay. There's a lot of things that could be inside this sentence. They were, the, remember our context, right? Many people are coming all the way from the cities outside Jerusalem. They're coming into the temple space, the domain of the high priest, right? They're coming in, they're showing up, and they are being healed. Spirits are being cast out. He's taking action because he and all that were with him were filled with wonder. I think that would be a pretty reasonable way for that sentence to end, don't you think? They were filled with faith. They were filled with lots of things, right? A desire to see the will of God take root and for revival. They were filled with a spirit of repentance would be a good option. But that's not how the sentence ends. How does the sentence end? They were filled with what? You can read it. Tell me. Jealousy. Envy. This is not the only time this happens. There are lots of times, not just in the Bible, but in the story of God's people through history, in response to the work of God working out in some place, other people see it and other people whose power and domain are, are, are invested in it and they see it and they're like, oh man, that could have been us. We missed out, you know? And it's so tragic, man. This is, this is the high priest. And just a sidebar, this isn't the main point of the sermon, but man, I hope Central will always be a place that when other churches in town hit a boom and are thriving and growing, I hope Central is always the kind of place that says, may God be praised for that. And you know what? We're, we're growing. Things are great here. Things are happening well here. But if some other church triples in size, I hope we can look at that without an ounce of jealousy and say, God be with them. God be praised for that. Are, are, we, are we agree on that? I think that's who I want to be. I think that's who we want to be. He's filled with jealousy. And so the way that he acts in verse 18, it says, and they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. He says something to him here. I'll stop here too, though. And I don't know 
I love this moment. Now, you may all, you may already be thinking about the other time that this happens later in the story, right? Like later on the story, there's going to be a time where Peter by himself has been arrested and an angel comes and breaks him out. He goes back to the place where the church is gathered and uh, the person that opens the door freaks out so much that they forget to actually, actually they forget to open the door. They just leave him outside. I love that story. I think that's a really funny story in the book of Acts. I don't know why Peter is always getting jailbroken and other disciples have to spend the night. But here it's the whole group of the apostles. I'd forgotten that there was a story where all of them were there together in jail. I'd forgotten that. And reading it again, almost like for the first time this week, I just had that that visual of them being as a group, ushered out by this angel out of the prison in the middle of the night. And then it, the angel says to them, and verse 20 is the verse that I want us to sit in a little bit. So verse 20 of Acts chapter 5, this is what the angel tells them. Go, stand in the temple and tell the people the whole message about this life. And I thought about that verse a lot this week. I mean, I I love that, first of all, this angel who comes to them in prison says, does not say, go flee the city at once, get out of here, right? Instead, the angel says, go back, go straight back to the very place they arrested you right? Go right back. Don't stop. The word of God is not going to be stopped by these people who are acting out of their jealousy to try to clamp you down, to try to clamp the word of God down. Go right back to the temple. Pick up right where you left. Now, I think it's beautiful that they get sent back right in that way. And it's almost like, uh, you know, weebles wobble, but they don't fall down, right? The, is that too old? That's too old of a reference. I'm sorry. The little punching bag, you know, it gets knocked over, it comes back up, right? Okay. Like as many times as the high priest throws his best punch, the word of the whole, of, of God, the Holy Spirit at work, the, the Jesus movement and his, his body is going to continue to grow. It's not going to be, it's gonna, not going to be squashed. It's not going to be just easily turned down because of the envy and the sin of the people in charge, the word of God is going to continue to grow, continue to roll on. God will have his say. But really what I sat in in this verse, though, is I've, one of the questions that we're asking in Acts is, what is it? that these apostles, we know that they were all called to be witnesses, that they were called to, you know, give witness to Jesus. But what is it that they're trying to, they actually had to say about Jesus? And in this verse, it just, it seems so big, doesn't it? What is it that they're supposed to say? What is it that they're supposed to go and tell the people? And the answer is, like, everything. Go tell them all the words about this this life 
Tell them all the words about this life and where I've sat this week is wondering what that means. I thought about what it what it what it means to me. Different words mean different things to different people, right? Different messages hold a different phrase. I mean, there's this uh, drama that Kelly and I reenact all the time, where she holds, uh, she she points in our in our bedroom at this pair of jeans. This is the only pair of jeans that I wear, and she points and she says, "Are those clean?" And I say, well, it depends of what you mean by that phrase. I don't even know if are those clean is the operative word. If she's asking, have you already worn those? I would answer one way. If she's asking, do you plan to wear those again? I would say a different answer. What are those jeans? I don't know. I'm probably going to keep wearing them for another month. I don't know. I'm sorry, I could see that gross face you just made. You're like, oh, that's too much, Stephen. It's too much. It just means one thing differently to me than it does her, right? Hey, listen, what does this phrase mean? What does it mean when the angel looks at these apostles and are in jail and she says, go, the angel says, go tell the whole people, go to the temple in that space and speak the message, the whole message of this life. What does that mean? I've just been haunted with that this week. And I thought, you know, maybe it's that top level thing, the life that we have in Jesus because of his death and his resurrection. And there are places in Acts where it seems like the, the, the apostles mean just that, right? That in Jesus, we have been given access to eternal life. And maybe that's what they're supposed to go out and say, right? Maybe they're supposed to go out into the temple and tell all the people there, in the name of Jesus, there is a way to have eternal life. I, I know that we know that's part of their message, right? But I don't know if that's all of it. Maybe it's about a way of life. Go, go over into the, into the temple and start telling them all the things that Jesus has shown you about what it means to live well. I've got a little list of those things. I, I don't know if you do. I think it's a good practice. Hey, I think every once in a while, all of us should take the practice of sitting down with a pen and a notepad and just writing down the things that Jesus teaches us about how to live. I wonder what would be on your list for that. On my list are things like Jesus teaches me to trust in God to take care of me. Jesus teaches me to love people even when they're against me or may call themselves my enemies. Jesus teaches me to be faithful to my family, be faithful to my, my wife, to be faithful in that space. Jesus teaches me to be careful about the sorts of things that I say. He teaches me to approach life with a full heart, depending on the spirit to move within me. I got, I got a list of these things, okay? There's a chart on my wall. It's great. Very colorful. 
I could show you my chart. Maybe someday we'll do that. But I want to ask you, like without just going straight to the, like without picking up the, the gospel of Matthew and then going Mark and Luke and John, if you just had to sit right now and pull, you know, pull up that notes app on your phone and pull out or pull out a pen and paper and you just had to write, like what is it that Jesus teaches us about life? What would, what would be on that list? I think it's good for us to have clarity about that because part of us bearing witness to Jesus, not in the temple, but in the public square, right? In the public place where the people are, is we have to go into that space with that list of things, remembering that that's part of what we have to share. Sometimes Peter needs to stand up and say, this is the way of Jesus that is to eternal life. And sometimes Peter needs to stand up and say, Jesus has commanded us to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and he has commanded us to love our neighbors as ourselves, right? And maybe John has a little bit different take on that, and maybe James has a little bit different take on that. But they've heard Jesus teach a way of life. And that's part of the whole message, isn't it? I wonder if they were thinking about this life and just what they were coming to understand about the realities of it. I asked Kelly about this this morning, and she's like, well, maybe they just meant like, this, the realities of this life where there are things like angels unlocking prisons and there's going to be hardships, but there's still another, God is still with you in it. And just the way that life works like that, that's a great answer. Maybe what they mean about this life, the whole message of this life, is that there's, there's things that you don't see going on and there are powers at work that you may not have taken account for, but in Jesus, those things are revealed to be what, like, like something true and real and you need to pay attention to them, right? When they heard this, They entered the temple at daybreak and they went on with their teaching. Which, by the way, doesn't tell me enough yet about what they were teaching. Tells us that they're teaching, but it doesn't tell us what they're teaching. When I noticed that the first time in this verse, Well, let's just say I had a couple of other chances to notice that again. When the high priest and those with them with him arrived, they called together the council of the whole body of the elders of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the temple police went there, they did not find them in the prison. And so they returned and reported, uh, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. By the way, funny part about this story you know what that means right it means that when the angel came and opened it says in 19 open the angel of the lord opened the prison doors and brought them out 
You know what that means? What happened after that? They locked the door back on their way out. That's hilarious. Right? I don't know which of them, one of them it was. Matthias. I mean, Matthias is like, uh, I probably need to go ahead and... So these, these guards go, they report, we, we found the prison securely locked and the guards are standing there, but when we opened them, there was no one inside. When the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were perplexed about them, wondering what might be going on. They're a little late to start wondering that. Aren't they? I mean, if they approached this whole situation early on with some curiosity, wonder what it is that's happening. What is it that's really... The, I mean, part of the problem is at the beginning of the story, they think they know what's going on, right? And only at this point, they start wondering, what's really happening here? And if only they could have maintained that spirit of that. Someone else arrived and announced, look, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And by now, you already know what question I'm asking when I read that, right? What am I asking myself then? What? I'm really asking questions. You guys got to talk louder. What are they teaching? What are they teaching? They're there. They're teaching the people. And, and you know what? To these people that put them in prison, that was the important point. It actually doesn't matter to them. It doesn't matter to the high priest what they're teaching. It's just that they are. And the captain went with the temple police and brought them, um, but without violence, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. All the power dynamics are shaken up here, aren't they? When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. And if Peter was feeling really snarky, he would say what? That's not a question. Right? They questioned them saying, that's, that's not a question. A question would have been, what is it that you have to say that's so important? What is it that you have to say that is worth over and over again, risking prison. Why are, you, why are you willing to throw your life away for this? Those would have been good questions. Instead, it's just this wonderfully ironic statement. You filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And again, what's our question? What are they teaching? And then he says this. You are determined to bring this man's blood upon us. And that may have actually been true. 
in, in a way, right? But Peter and the, apostle ans- uh, and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than any human authority. And at this point, I was ready to hear something of their teaching. Are you ready? The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior that he might give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So we actually get some content here, don't we? We get something about what it is that they have to say about Jesus that is so important that they're willing to play this boomerang game of prison back and forth as long as it takes to get the word out. God has raised up Jesus, not just any God, the God of our ancestors for the high priest. This is the God that you know. This is not some new God. This is the God who is acting in continuity with all of the stories that you've ever heard in your whole life. That God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, has acted in our age, in our time, to raise Jesus from the dead. And not only has he been raised from the dead, he's been exalted. He's been brought high to God's right hand. He's been made two things. The leader, or your translation may say the prince or or the ruler. He's the one empowered enthroned. Later Christians would say, use the word Lord to talk about this, right? He is the Lord. And not only is he the one who is ruling, he is also the Savior, the one who is bringing about salvation. He goes on to say, he he has now bringing to Israel, he's the one that's appointed by God to bring to Israel repentance. And also the forgiveness of their sins. He is ruling and he is, he is calling us to become something different. And he is also giving us the gift of life and forgiveness and freedom from all those things that are in our past. And Jesus is doing all of this And to me, I know it's not the whole message, but I know that that's part of what that angel meant when he said, go speak about this life. A life in which we listen for the word of God to call us to something new and different and repentance. But we also listen to the voice of God that says, you are beloved and forgiven, and I'm not holding all the things in your past against you anymore. Isn't that part of the life? Isn't that part of this life? that we listen to what God is calling us to, and we also receive the gift of what God is saying about us, of what he's calling not just us to, but what he's calling us. His beloved, forgiven children. 
I think that's part of what they're teaching. And you know what? I don't know that it was yet the whole message, all the words of this life, but I think it's part of their answer. And I think it's part of my answer. And I wonder if it's part of your answer. I mean, if you have one of those dreams tonight, and I think it happens, and there's a voice in your dream tonight that says, go, go back to the place that you came from yesterday. Go back to the office. Go back to the neighborhood. Go back to the school. Go back to your family. Go back to the place where you stood yesterday and this time speak, and this time speak the whole message of this life. What is it, church, that you, that we say in that space? And I don't want to resolve that. I want to send you with that question. May we be people who constantly are asking God for the message and for the words to share about what this life really is. Let's pray together. O giver of all good things, who sent Jesus into the world to be our ruler, and our Savior. O God, who has given us life, this life, may your Spirit lead us to greater clarity in understanding it ourselves and lead us to greater clarity in speaking with those whom you have called us to bear witness. And God, may your name be honored as more and more people come to receive and know this life, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.